Hi there. I know what you're thinking. Hang on. Who is this pleb? This isn't the soothing voice of Krista Wallace we all know and love. Well, no, I am not Krista, but she can hardly interview herself for her own fan con, can she? So instead you get me. Hi, I'm Dave Lees, and you're listening to the Totally Fantastic Title Podcast. Cue the theme. I'm incredibly excited to be here. We've got a great panel for you. Uh, several listeners have regularly been in touch with comments on the story, predictions, and questions about the characters. So Krista reached out to some of you lovely listeners to submit the questions for today. They were super thought-provoking and amusing. Uh, for any of you who may not be up to date on the story so far, you may want to pause now to avoid any possible spoilers leading up to the end of Gatekeeper's Deception. If you have any further questions, comments, or predictions after today, please feel free to reach out to Krista on Twitter, Instagram, or you can sign up for the sporadic newsletter by emailing totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com. Okay, that is the preamble. I know the creator and characters are ready to go, so let's not beat around the bush and introduce them. First off, we've got creator, writer, and narrator extraordinaire, Krista Wallace. Our beloved Duke of Three Duchies, it's Kean Barthelen. You know him, you love him, Valeraker. And of course, the main party, Dario Morant, Fennel Kieran, Justellen, Janik, Acadia, my personal favorite, Skin Noddle. And last but not least, it's Kier Haladin. It's really great to be here, everyone. Thank you. It's really great. We have questions today coming in from listeners Edwin, Teresa, Louise, John, and Shari. And we'll start off by sending our very first question straight to the author. What can you tell us about Kier and the Gatekeeper trilogy in four parts uh, <laughs> and how it came into being? Thank you for asking that question. It's funny because one of the things that publishers say is, we don't want your story that's based on your Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> actually, it, it wasn't actually Dungeons and Dragons, but it was a fantasy tabletop role-playing game. Which is why I thank the original six at the end of each episode. Oh, that's wonderful. Nice. No Terrific. Marvelous. Because they helped create the characters. And uh, even informed some of the elements of the story. Though I did not lift the books directly out of the game, I had to make the characters more robust, of course. Um, and I'm not entirely sure the original six would be 100% happy with what I've done, but uh, hey, you folks can write your own stories. Anyway, Kier was naturally my character, and um, I wanted to explore her history, and I thought it was an interesting story. It became a trilogy in four parts. Well, actually, I set out to write a book, and then when I realized that I was, I'd way too much material for only one book, so I realized it was going to be more than one, and then it suddenly became three. Um, <laughs> 
And now, and now it's a trilogy in four parts because Gatekeeper's Deception is just so damn long. If you're familiar with the story, uh, when I was writing it, I was writing toward the battle scene outside the Indian Caves. And when I got there, I realized the story was nowhere near over. So I had to keep on going until the end. Um, so similarly to Lord of the Rings... I realized that although it's all one book, it's a rather bulky thing to sell as a single volume. So I chopped it in half for publishing purposes. It is still all one book, but that's where the confusion comes in. I think of it as book two, but the published versions will be called books two and three. <laughs> and Kier's name, you ask? Well, it. I was trying to come up with a cool name, and I thought of the name Pierre, but I wanted the k sound at the beginning, and I knew the spelling would be an issue, so I tried a whole bunch of different spellings and showed them around to people. And the funny thing was that no matter how I spelled it, nobody could pronounce it, <laughs> even when I spelled it K-I-E-R-R-E. <laughs> so I decided to go with the way I wanted it to be spelled, and I added the little pronunciation hint in the first chapter of Gatekeeper's Key. <laughs> Um, please note that both of my actual children have names that are easy to pronounce. It's true. They do. <laughs> I always love that you mention the original six because, of course, I actually know them. And even now, when I picture the characters in my head, it's them. That said, any film and TV producers who may be listening, I call dibs on playing Skimnoddle. <laughs> putting that out into the verse. You have my support. Excellent. A follow-up question. Uh, has the gatekeeper story uh, been worked on completely by yourself? Or do you have a person who acts as a sounding board? Or, or are you getting involved in a writing circle for this project? Mostly it's just me. But certainly if I need to bounce ideas around, Matt gets words flung at him. Sometimes just speaking out loud, like to a person, it doesn't work if I just wander around my house speaking to myself. Um, but speaking out loud to somebody helps me solve a problem or come up with an idea. Sometimes Matt contributes ideas and sometimes I even use them. Um, more often he suggests an idea, he suggests a thing and that gives me a different idea altogether. So he's, he's very patient. <laughs> uh, and of course I have my writing partners who are invaluable to the process. There, there's a lot of trading back and forth of each other's work. We help each other out this way with our various projects. If I need a fresh eye on something, I might uh, appeal to someone new, but for a writer's perspective from somebody who knows me and my work, I have a circle of friends I share with. Uh, they comment on my work and I comment on theirs. So it's not a formal writer's group like a lot of writers belong to, but it's a handful of people whose opinions I trust and respect. And that's always a very good thing to have, uh, even if you're not a writer. Um, <laughs> now we've got a question for Val Raker, and uh, I am going to read this question exactly as written. <clears throat> My apologies, I'm not good with protocols on how to address Valraker, Duke of Eckert, your highness. You've been around for a few centuries now and are still seeking a soulmate. You've had time and from what I've heard, you've tested the waters plenty. I mean, most guys your age have given up on the soulmate and are just looking for a nurse with a purse. What are you looking for in a partner? 
<laughs> Nurse with a purse. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> oh, and Valraker or your lordship is fine. It is kind of you to think that my water testing days aren't over. <laughs> Admittedly, it is difficult because my people are gone, which is a sacrifice I was prepared to make, and I still hold to that conviction. Still, I suppose even I would like to find someone who will make me laugh, even when the world is bringing me down. Hmm, yes, I think that will do. I think if someone can make me laugh, I would want them to stay with me forever. Other things would likely fall into place. Well, best of luck to you, my lord, and uh, I very much look forward to hearing more about uh, your early days. Uh, Krista, prequel, <laughs> he says, hopefully. <laughs> oh, I see. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Staying on the topic of friendships, uh, I'd like to turn to you, Fennel, for the next question. Uh, the listener asks, Fennel, under what circumstances did you first meet Derry? Oh, do I have to tell that story? Yes. I met Jerry a few years ago when I first started working for a Valraker, which happened because I had been traveling with my younger brother and two of my sisters around the eastern part of the Guarded Realm, visiting family mostly, but we were headed back when we got kind of caught in the crossfire between this band of thugs, a mixture of humans and hobgoblins, a dwarf or two. No, Janik, they were not your kin. I think there was a lizard or two in there. Anyway, there were about 20 of them who took it upon themselves to attack this group of five who said they were just passing through the realm. And the big fella said, this is our realm. You've got no business here. And we thought, well, that's not fair. Those odds are way out of proportion. And besides, this is actually our realm. So we surprised the wispies out of both parties by joining in. And between the two small groups, we got rid of the large ones, killed a few, scared them mostly, and off they went. Turns out the group was one of Valraker's. You know how he has lots of folks working for him and he puts them into groups that work well together and sends them off on errands? Anyway, one of them was Oshihira. Have you met her? No. No? Phew. She's a snow elf, kind of intimidating. So she and Funa, who said if I ever wanted to work for his lordship, they would put in a good word. So eventually I did go find Val, this was before the fall of Eckert City, and worked off and on for him for about three years with different combinations of retainers, just, you know, trying me out. The first time I worked with Derry was before he was named captain, but not long before, I think. We were pursuing a small squad out of the area, looking for their hiding place. I'd been taken on as tracker. Derry was the leader, and of course I was trying to impress him. And when I found traces Be of honest the enemy, now. Of course, don't get ahead of me. I found traces of the enemy, but I was concentrating so intensely on not messing up in front of Derry, who was scowling at me the whole time, yes you were, that I veered off and we wound up following a deer, who looked very surprised when we found him and interrupted his repose. And then you said, aha, we have you at last, or some such thing, and I felt like wandering off into the forest and never showing my face again. But you did not. You got us back on track, and we did find their place. By which time they had vacated it, and I never understood why Valraker ever gave me another chance after that. I think it was because the next time he needed a tracker, Fraser was sick. (laughs) In all honesty, I believe it was Oshihira who continued to recommend you. Really? That's neat. And in all honesty, you improved over time. 
I'm not even going to ask about that. Um, so since the beginning of this tale is Kier meeting Bellraker, uh, the same listener asks you, Jenik, to tell us about the first time you met Bellraker. Seems to me I was having a conversation with the proprietor of a public house, and this asshole was sitting nearby, obviously listening in. And if that wasn't enough, he started insinuating himself into our conversation. Oh my god, do you make a habit of that? How else does one make friends? You're gonna get yourself killed one of these days. Well, and that's nearly what happened. Exactly! What if someone doesn't find out who you are in time? Or doesn't give two hoots. So did he push you so far you snapped at him? That's basically what happened to me. What? You lost your temper? (laughs) Oh, you see, most of us are of sweeter disposition than you. Okay, so what happened? He said something that set me off and I got huffy. What? You got huffy? (laughs) Even the most congenial of us can be provoked in certain circumstances. Anyway, then he said something funny. I laughed. The publican introduced us. The rest is, as they say, plot. Here. I'm sure you've been anxiously waiting for your turn. I'm surprisingly nervous about this, actually. Don't worry, we'll keep it easy for this one. Hello, Kier. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) I'm amazed at your many languages. How many do you speak, and how did you manage to retain your birth language when it appears that you had no one to speak it with since you were three years old? (laughs) Well, now that's the question, isn't it? I don't have an answer for that. Um, I speak Rydrish, obviously, Wood Elvish, Dark Elvish, and whatever my birth language is. I don't know what it is, though if Val is right, then I guess that explains it. I don't imagine our creator is going to tell us anything at this time. No, no, I'm not. (laughs) Thank you. You can relax now. That wasn't so bad. For the record, I just winked at Kier and then remembered that this is an audio medium. (laughs) (laughs) Just Skellen, we haven't heard from you yet. When did you first discover you had a talent for magic? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I began my training as a shaman first, as one does. I was taken under the wing of our tribe's shaman at age six, though at that age it is all very experimental, testing the waters, so to speak. When I was about eight, I think, I was practicing meditation, trying to achieve the calm and connective state for trance, when something startled me, and instead of remaining calm, I was only young after all, I instinctively put up a protective block. It turned out that not only had I put up a block, but I had unintentionally struck the source of my surprise with a sort of magic punch. My mother was none too pleased and insisted that the shaman, my mentor, hone those skills. I believe her words were, you might want to do that first or some such. Well, clearly that's going well for you. Thank you very much. Now let's introduce our favorite captain, Sir Derry Morant. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. 
Thierry, this listener is curious about how you met Acadia. Can you tell us about it? Well, she has been the steward at Shale Castle since before I became my lord's captain. Naturally, she is the first person we speak with whenever arriving there, so our meeting was unavoidable. That is to say, not that I would have tried to avoid... Of course you did. Ah, I believe it. Yes, actually, she terrifies me with her competence, and I try to stay out of her way because I feel like such a lummox next to her. Fear not, my young knight. You only look at periodically. For the record, I was totally trying to channel my inner skim noddle. (laughs) Krista, there are so many wonderful places to visit around Metro Vancouver. Is there one place you would call your absolute favorite location to take a walk? Ooh, so many. Well, actually, several scenes in the books take place along the Four Lakes Trail up at uh, Alice Lake Provincial Park. Uh, just outside of Squamish. I'm also really fond of the walk up to the Lower Falls at Golden Ears Park. Closer to home is Colony Farm and the dikes along the river system in Port Coquitlam and Pitt Meadows. <laughs> That's a total fail. You asked for one place and I couldn't do it. I guess the short answer is no, there is no one place that is my favorite. <laughs> I don't know if she's ever answered a question about a favorite location with just (laughs) one, for the record. (laughs) This listener says, tell me more about the religion in your world. Who are the principal gods in the Pantheon? And under the rules of your universe, are the gods real? Do they actually get involved in people's lives? Ooh, good question. I went with the elements as a place to start, and then I added deities for other power positions in our lives. That's kind of what I was thinking about. So we've got Dion, who's the goddess of water, Garen, who is the god of fire, the forge, and war, Theres is the goddess of air. Uh, Then we have Aiden, who's the goddess of life and fertility. Uh, Felviona is the goddess of pleasure and love. Kowaldor is the god of death. Dima is the god of the sun. And Nia, I named her Nia because I looked up and saw a photo of Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush. (laughs) So that's how she got her name. Um, And she's the goddess of the moon. And then uh, we have we have Techni, who is the spirit of magic. Um, I have a whole mythology actually that I created one day, kind of how the gods all interrelate. Um, probably when I I probably wrote it when I was having trouble figuring out what to write next in the book. Um, I don't know how much sense it makes because I haven't looked at it in ages, but it was kind of fun to create. Well, sounds like another opportunity for a spinoff book to me. <laughs> Yeah, or or at least a little uh, sideline essay kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the other question you asked was, do they get involved? Um, You may remember that in book one, Gatekeeper's Key, Derry consulted the statues of the gods and goddesses in Nenya, and he believed that they had answered him. It turned out that it wasn't the gods themselves. It was Sasha. Now, some might believe that the gods spoke to Derry through Sasha, 
that's fine with me, but that wasn't my thought. Speaking of Sasha, uh, we actually had a listener submit a question for her. Oh, was that ever nice? She is only six, so we asked her and her caregiver to record her answer and send it to us. Uh, So the listener said, Hi, Sasha Carver. What's been happening to you since you arrived in shale? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Just pretend you're talking to me. Say your name and then tell them something about living in shale. Hi, I'm Sasha. I'm six. So, um, thank you for the question. Well, I've been in shale for... How long have I been here? Three months. Oh, three months now, and I really like it. Um... I live with Pascal, and she works in the castle, so I get to live in the castle, and it's really fun. There are lots of other kids to play with, and now I get to go to school, too. I like it when Pascal takes me and my friend Julia into the city, and sometimes we get to see a play, and I like to sing. And I'm learning to ride a pony, and his name is Cheeky. (laughs) I keep Arrow with me all the time. He's a griffin my papa carved for me. And it's funny because I think he's getting bigger. But I don't know. Okay, that will do. Okay, I have to go now. Bye. Thank you, Sasha. (laughs) Really nice to hear from you, Sasha. And we are all really glad to hear. Uh, she's doing so well after all she went through. So let's hear it for Sasha, everyone. Oh, she's, she's such a sweetheart, isn't she? And thanks so much uh, for that question. A query on the production for the creator. Uh, this is to do with the theme music for the podcast. Why Jupiter for the theme music? And is it you singing with multiple tracks? <laughs> That's funny, because um, a few weeks back in my intro, I was talking about a song snippet that popped into my head, and I had no idea what the song was, so that when I rediscovered it, I was like, hey, that's that bit, and it turned out to be from Fresh Air 3 by Mannheim Steamroller. Anyway, I said at that point that there was a similar story about my theme music, so here goes. I never once skipped out of class until first year university. Um, I had this really crummy English prof. I couldn't stand him. And he, anyway, I had this song going through my head. I was, I was on my way up to the school and I had this song stuck in my head and it was driving me crazy. And suddenly it became more important than anything else to figure out what that song was. So I turned around and went home. I actually skipped English class in order to figure out what that song was. Um, I listened to music. I had a couple of things I was going to try, and I listened to a whole bunch of pieces of music until I figured out it was the chorale section of Jupiter, the bringer of jollity from Holst's The Planets. If you have not listened to this, you should find a recording and listen to it because it's brilliant. That whole work is brilliant. I once used Mars, the bringer of war, as pre-show inspiration for a play I was in when I was playing a really troubled and angry character. Anyway, 
That is that is easily the best excuse for skipping class that I've ever heard. <laughs> the song stuck in my head, so I had to find out what the song was. So I skipped class. Uh, and if you if you knew this English prof I'm talking about, you would not blame me in the least. You probably won't Write blame it down, me anyway. Kids. <laughs> some Use things this. are more some things are more important than first year English class. <laughs> Like, so, finding out what song that is. <laughs> need to know what the song is. Um, <clears throat> so, so when I was trying to think of what to use for theme music here, well, there were a couple of things I had to consider. It had to be something in the public domain um, so that I would, wouldn't have to worry about getting permission to use it. Um, it also needed to be something I wouldn't get tired of. And then I went... Ping, and I decided on the chorale from Jupiter. Not only do I love it, and it has really cool harmony lines that I could sing, but the section also ends on that glorious sus chord, which just sounds so like mysterious and kind of incomplete, like we're waiting for more, which is to me a really cool way to begin an episode. It felt to me like I'm saying something cool is coming up. What can it be? You know what? I, I, that, that, thought never occurred to me but of course now that you've pointed that out it absolutely does that to me and my wife every single time we listen to an episode right (laughs) (laughs) so job well done you succeeded at least on the two of us yeah (laughs) and then and then in answer to the second part of the question yes um i i wanted to choose a piece of music i could do a recording of myself um And I can't use an already existing recording of that piece because again, I wouldn't own it. I I did the instrumental part in Band in a Box, which is a program that my jazz partner Gordon and I use for the Itty Bitty Big Band. Um, And then I plugged that into GarageBand as my my sort of um, bass chord chart. Um, And I wound up doing seven vocal tracks, not only to include all of the harmony lines, but because the phrases are so, so long, I couldn't do them all in one breath. So I had to use good choral technique and like fade out a line and then take a breath and then fade back in. So then I'd have to create another track to cover over that part, those parts that I skipped because of breathing. <laughs> so it kind of took me ages, but it was really, really fun to do. Well, we all love it. And indeed, like Krista said, if you haven't listened to Holst's The Planets, get on it because <laughs> it will just make you feel all the emotions and it's just, it's great. I love The Planets. And incidentally, this might be a good little time to say that there is a surprise coming up when we start Griffin and the Spurious Correlations. Ah. And I got a sneak preview of it, and it is amazing. <laughs> I just gonna cannot le- wait. <laughs> We're just going to leave it there. <laughs> I'm so excited! <laughs> oh. <laughs> now you got us all really curious, too. Anyways, <laughs> moving back into the questions. A uh, listener has a question for Janik. Is there a significant person back home you look forward to seeing again? My younger brother, Oscar. Pretty close with them, actually. Is, is, is that it? I 
definitely thought there'd be more to that. You know what? Why am I surprised? Um, <laughs> Krista, uh, would you consider doing a live recording of a story bonus episode when we can attend cons in person instead of our virtual hall H here today? Oh my God, yes. I absolutely want to do this. Um, I, I already have an idea to do a live reading at, um, at my local independent bookstore, Western Sky Books. I haven't talked to them about that yet, but <laughs> I'm going to do it. Um, I intend to invite a few other authors to be part of that, to read their work too. And besides that, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have an, um, an evening of, of, of a live audience for an episode. I'm, I'm not sure what I would read yet, but you know. I'm open to suggestions. If if anybody has an idea of something that they they would be interested in uh, attending at a con and having me read and record the whole thing, yeah, it would be super fun. I would love that. Well, I really hope that that gets to happen someday and someday very very soon because we're all getting vaccinated and it's great. Um, This next question is for Acadia. Oh, oh my goodness. What is going on with you and Derry? It seems like there's a bit of history there, girlfriend. I know he's not one to kiss and tell, but spill it. We want details. (laughs) Oh, we're just good friends and he dances well, so. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Oh, Oh, now, Acadia, you don't have to hold back for our What? What do you want me to say? He just told you how we met. Do you know how many people I meet in my job? Lame. (laughs) Okay, fine. I had a crush on him for a while. I knew it. I'm surprised to hear it. Goodness, I had no idea. (laughs) There's nothing more to it. He's a good dancer, okay? (laughs) Yeesh. Can we talk about how good I am at my job? Fine, yes. Even though the gossip is why people are listening today. No, I'm kidding. You know what? Let's use the question you have posed to yourself. Tell us why you are so good at your job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, Kian hired me to be steward at Shale Castle when I was 19. And a very good idea it was, too. Because of my organizational skills and my leadership qualities. I meet a lot of young men, and a lot of old men, and women as well. Thanks for joining the group, Kier. I did but it doesn't. <laughs> Thanks. But it doesn't make sense for me to even consider a relationship with someone who comes and goes all the time. Sometimes it's better to choose someone who plans to remain close by. Nothing wrong with a bit of stability. I definitely get that. Since we are asking embarrassing questions, Fennel, under what conditions did you first get hangover drunk? Go. <laughs> oh, with my sister Marlo. At a concert at our favorite public house in Placatha. There was an ensemble in town from Dalcor, and we had been looking forward to it for weeks. The problem was that we mixed our drinks, beer and ale and wine, and this liquor that Marlo liked and bought me a few, and we drank a lot. And I regretted it the next day, even though we had at least been smart about that. We had planned on not going home that night, so nobody was expecting us to be around at home to do anything. I only barfed once. Um... <laughs> the concert was terrific, by the way. 
Uh, we're going to turn back to just Skellen. Multiple listeners are asking about what is it with you and horses? Uh, you're the only member of the team that doesn't ride a horse. Why do you refuse to ride? What led to this decision? Is it spiritual, religious, magic power kind of thing? And if so, what is its basis? Or are you just scared of horses? <laughs> no, dear listener, I am not afraid of them. <laughs> My people have a strong affinity with animals, and we generally do not have beasts of burden. Some of my people are able to obtain permission. I do not have the ability to speak to animals, so I would never presume. Still, it is uncommon among my people. It is a matter of respect. You might say it is a spiritual thing. The same listener posed a follow-up question. Also, what's up with the bare feet? Ah, with bare feet, you see, I am able to connect more readily with the earth, this source of my energy. I sit on the ground for my meditation, and bare feet keep me as one with the earth from whence life grows, and to which I will return upon my death. That is extremely fascinating. Thank you for that. That's all the time we have in this episode of Totally Fantastic Title, but be sure to join us next week for the second half of Gatekeeper FanCon here in Hall H. Uh, we have a lot more interesting discussion points for you. Be sure to check out the Totally Fantastic Title Facebook companion page, KristaWallace.com. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram. And for the audiobook lovers in your life, you can find Gatekeeper's Key and Gatekeeper's Deception now available on your favorite audiobook platforms. Hi, I'm Dave Lees. Have a great week, everyone. And you will be hearing from me very soon. I'd like to say thank you to my family, Matt, David, and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks, David and Sharon. Shout out to the original six. Special thank you to all of you who submitted such great questions. Edwin, Louise, Shari, Teresa, and John. I really appreciate Dave Lees for being such a great MC for Gatekeeper FanCon. Tune in next week for part two. And thanks to you. Now, go be fantastic.